We've been talking the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit. I know we've all come from different um, uh, theological teachings in our, in our growing up here. Some of us have not been to church at all until you started coming to church as a grown-up or maybe here, you know, in the last uh, few years. Uh, some of you grew up Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, all kinds of different flavors uh, of, of relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding of, of who not only God is, but also who Jesus is and also who the Holy Spirit is. And I think we can understand really maybe who God is. If I had a conversation with you, you could probably say, oh, well, God is, you know, the creator of everything. He's seated on the throne. He's all big, bright, white light. Jesus, okay, well, yeah, he walked the earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. But when I ask you to describe the Holy Spirit, you might not be able to have that much of a conversation about it because he's harder to describe. But by the way, as I've said the last few weeks, I'll say it again, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he's, the, he's, he's part of the Godhead, the part of the Trinity. Just as God's a person, Jesus is a person, so is the Holy Spirit. And so we've been asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And uh, so last week we talked about discernment and, and a little bit of that. And, and I want you to go back and, and, and listen to that message. And I hope that that was helpful to you. But today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and our conscience. The Holy Spirit and our conscience. Now, some time back, Kelly and I were watching Leave it to Beaver. How many likes to watch Leave it to Beaver? Yeah, it's just, you know, they don't make shows like that anymore. Nice, innocent uh, subject matter and, you know, pretty lighthearted. But this particular episode, uh, someone had done something wrong. And uh, one of the subjects of that, in that, uh, in that episode, uh, the word conscience came up. And, and so Beaver said, uh, hey, Wally. Uh, what is a conscience? It's the question that he asked his older brother. What's a conscience, Wally? And then he continued as he says, for example, like when a lion eats another animal in the forest, does the lion have a conscience? You know, and Wally kind of laughed it off like, Beaver, you're such a little kid, you know, whatever. And I started laughing to myself. I said, well, no, the lion doesn't have a conscience, but what he does have is a full belly. You know, he's, he's satisfied right then. See, animals act upon instinct. <clears throat> now, th th theirs is all about survival of the fittest, but humans, on the other hand, are created in God's image, and, and we have a conscience, and, and we're daily challenged with right and wrong thoughts, right and wrong words, right and wrong actions. How many can relate to that? Anybody in here? I would hope everybody deals with that. Now, here's, here's what gets me when you think about uh, people that try to explain God away, because you, those who deny God cannot explain what a conscience is. It, it doesn't fit into evolutionist theory of how mankind developed over millions of years, which by the way, mankind did not develop over millions of years. My ancestor is not a monkey. I am created in the image of God, hey, right? And so are you, right? And we've not been around for millions of years. We've been around for about 7,000 years, okay? Read Genesis, and uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. And by the way, if you were to go through a machine, a CAT scan right now, they would not be able to identify, oh, there, there's your conscience right there. There it is. Because it's not, you can't see it on a CAT scan. You can't find it on a CAT scan. You see what a conscience is? A conscience is... And everybody has one. It's an inner feeling. A conscience is like a, a moral compass. It's a moral awareness that acts as a guide in our lives to rightness and wrongness of a person's individual behavior. We all have a conscience. And really that 
conscience in us is part, it's the part of us that's really the most like God. And while it's been clouded and soiled by sin over, uh, the, uh, that started in the garden, it's still there in us and it's guiding us and it's challenging us always to do right. And I believe and I'm so thankful that it's been placed there by God. And it's actually our spirit man inside of us being convicted by the Holy Spirit who's instructing us. And the Holy Spirit is guiding us. And the Holy Spirit is, 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 is directing us away from evil and towards good. That's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs. I want you to think about it. You've probably seen these videos about little toddlers and little children who've been tempted with a treat. They'll have their parents or somebody will place a, a cookie, a, a M&M's or some other sort of tantalizing treat in front of them, and then they'll say, now don't eat it until I return, and they'll have a video camera set up, of course, and they'll walk out of the room for what seems like to the child an eternity, but it's really only for about a minute, 30 seconds at the most. And, and so you see, you see in this video, some of them begin to uh, play with the treat. It, it, that one minute seems like, you know, a uh, hundred years to them. Some of them will pick up that treat. Some of them will lick the treat and put it back down. <laughs> I'm not eating it, but I'm getting awful close to it. They talk to themselves and justify themselves. They'll kind of look away like, oh, if I'm not seeing me doing it, I'm not doing it, right? If I'm not... And, and, and sooner or later, you'll see some of them, most of them, give in. There's a couple of them that will succeed just barely, but most of them will just give in, chocolate all over their faces, and I didn't, I didn't eat it. What this shows is, for us is the propensity at the youngest age to wrestle with our conscience and act out either rightly or wrongly in those choices that we make. Now, teens and adults, if you're listening here today, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult, we have a lot bigger temptations than cookies, don't we? We wrestle with our conscience on a daily basis, and the repercussions are a lot more damaging and hurtful than giving in to a little chocolate chip cookie. How many wants a chocolate chip cookie right now, right? Affairs lead to broken marriages and families because we give in. Anger and resentment leads to ugly attitudes and actions because we give in. Hurtful words lead to hurt hearts because we give in. Unforgiveness leads to relational alienation because we give in. Greed leads to dishonesty and theft because we give in. Alcohol, drugs, and pornography addictions lead to destructive bondage because we, we give in. And the list goes on and on in our lives. We know before, we know during, and we know after the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, and the things that we've done that are wrong. We know it. Even those who've never been exposed to the gospel in the deepest, darkest parts of the world where missionaries have never been. There's no sort of moral teachings of the Bible in those places as of yet. But they have this inner moral compass that convicts them of their wrongs because we're born with that knowing between right and wrong. The Bible even describes that. Everyone in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice faces this fact. But I'm so thankful that we've not been left to fend off these temptations on our own. Amen? As we've been asking ourselves the last few weeks, who is the Holy Spirit 
today I'd like for us to look at how the Holy Spirit works with our conscience, that spirit man within us to help us be more than overcomers as we face the temptations of sin in our lives, the daily temptations, I would say. Without, without Jesus and without his Holy Spirit, we will surely fall and we will surely fail and we're going to fall into temptations and all sorts of destructive habits in our life. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he's speaking to them about how he's getting ready to go. But he's going to send the Holy Spirit, which he calls the helper. We hear this a lot, how Jesus describes him as the helper. John chapter 16, verse 7 is where we're going to start, if you will follow along with me. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. For if, uh, and, and when he has come, he'll convict the world of sin, that's number one. And he'll convict the world of righteousness, that's number two. And he'll convict the world of judgment, that's number three. And then he goes on to describe what that's all about. Of sin, because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And that's what I want us to look at this morning, those three different things. Of what the Holy Spirit does to convict us and work with us in our conscience. Jesus tells us these three things about what the Holy Spirit does as we wrestle with our conscience in choosing between right and wrong. And here's the first one. The first is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit tapping us on the shoulder and tugging on our hearts and dealing with our conscience, we wouldn't be convicted of our sin. Now, the definition of conviction is this. It says, it's the state of being found or proven guilty. You've been convicted of this crime You've been convicted of this that you've done. Now, conviction, as it relates to that description, that's a harsh word, isn't it? Conviction. It insults our sensibilities. If I say to you this morning that you, and I say to myself that we have been convicted, we have been found guilty, and there's no way around it. You can't wiggle around it. You can't justify that you, oh, not me, pastor. I'm a good person. No, no, sir. No, ma'am. You are convicted. You have been found guilty. And that shakes us, doesn't it, to our core when we think, wow, I thought I lived a pretty good life. I'm a good person. I go to church. I, I, I pray over my food. I, I like to worship the Lord. And, you know, I read the Bible every so often. And, I, you know, I don't do those wrong things. I'm sorry. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been convicted of sin. And we've all been found guilty. None of us like to think that we're guilty of sin. But the fact is we've all sinned. We're all guilty. We've all been tried, and we've all been found guilty. And the verdict is that without Jesus, it's eternal separation from God. Did you know that? Yes, absolutely. I want you to think about the things that you did this past week, just for a moment. I want you to think about some of the things that you said this past week, for just a moment. I'm talking about those things that weren't pleasing to God, by the way. You know the ones that I'm talking about. Not one person here is exempt from something that we've said, thought, or done that has not been pleasing to God because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me ask you, when you thought that thing, when you said that thing, when you did that thing, did you feel guilty? Sure. Did your conscience bother you? Yeah. By the way, that's a good thing. 
You want your conscience to bother you. You want to feel that sense of guilt of like, oh, I said, did, said, thought something that was not pleasing to God. That's the Holy Spirit in you. Nudging you, nudging your spirit, man, and convicting you, finding you guilty of your sin. That's a good thing. You want that to happen. Folks, we're all going to say, do, and think things that are not pleasing to God, that are opposed to his holy word, and that are not the best representation of Jesus in us. But if we stay close to Jesus, and we keep a sensitive and soft heart towards living a life of holiness, then even the littlest things that we do will trigger a troubled conscience, and that's a good thing. It's really the Holy Spirit in us being grieved. He, he, he wants so much for us to walk in the ways of, of Christ. As part of his job description, he draws us to Christ. He points us to Jesus. He convicts us of our sins. And again, I'll say that that's a good thing. I want the Holy Spirit to convict me. How about you? I need the Holy Spirit to convict me. How about you? I don't want to go through my days and be calloused or unaware of my thoughts and words and, and actions that grieve the heart of God, do you? You know, we can actually do and say and think things so many times that, that grieve God's heart, that we ignore the Holy Spirit's conviction. Did you know that we can actually have what the Bible calls a seared conscience if we keep doing it? First Timothy chapter 4 says it this way. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Did you know that when an animal gets branded, the part of their hide that gets seared with a hot iron is devoid of sensitivity from that point on? Did you know that? They can't feel anything where that brand is. The nerves are destroyed. They feel nothing where they've been seared with that hot iron. That's, that's what happens when we keep thinking, keep saying, keep doing those things that our conscience tells us not to. We run off and do what was described, what we just read in 1 Timothy. We get callous. We become hardened. We lose conviction and the feelings of guilt. In fact, we begin to justify the things that we say and do and think. We actually then start to embrace it. We then start living it out. It becomes a normal thing to us. It becomes an okay thing to us. We go with the flow of what others are doing. Hey, my friends are doing it at school, so I can do it too. Hey, my people at my job are doing it, so I can do it too. Hey, the world's doing it, so I can do it too. We follow the patterns of this world, and that is not the right pattern to follow, church. We convince ourselves that what we're thinking and saying and doing is perfectly fine. The Holy Spirit is still there, by the way, but it's a distant voice to a heart that's becoming more and more hardened. That's what Romans 1 describes. Read it. Those who reject God's holy, holiness and embrace the world's evils are the ones who've ignored their conscience so much that the voice of the Holy Spirit their inner conscience has become over time, little by little, drip by drip, step by step, choice after choice, their hearts are becoming hardened. So the Bible describes in Romans chapter one, God turns them over to their choices. It says in Romans 128, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. That's God saying, okay, 
If you're going to say, do, and think those things, then go for it and see what happens. Because he's not going to force us to love him, to serve him, to honor him, to live a pure life. It's a choice we make because we've all been given a will. And we have to choose ye this day whom we will serve every single day. The results, by the way, of this lifestyle choice continually choosing to ignore our conscience and the prompting and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is a life filled with destruction and a life filled with eternal separation from God. I'll say it again, eternal separation from God because one day we will all die. And if we die in our sins, we will be eternally separated from God. I've had people ask me, well, if God is a God of love, why would he send anyone to hell? Can I just be clear this morning and answer that question to you? God does not send anyone to hell. We send ourselves to hell. We send ourselves to hell when we reject Jesus Christ. We send ourselves to hell when we choose to live the life that we want to live, patterned by the world and patterned by our own lust of the flesh and the things that we choose to do. Instead of rejecting God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God has done all he's going to do to rescue us from hell, church. He sent us his son, Jesus, to die for us. God's made a way for us to get to heaven, church. And by the way, it's his way, not our way. There's only one way. It's a narrow path. And I choose to follow that path. How about you? It's not a wide path. It's not multiple roads to God. There's one way to God, and it's through Christ Jesus. It's his way. Jesus is the only way. And it's through placing our faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ, that finished work of Jesus Christ, that we can be saved. People make a choice to not believe in Jesus. It's a choice. They reject him and they embrace the world's ways. We have a will and God's not going to force himself on us today. We have to choose this day whom we will serve. And I encourage you today, church, let's choose Jesus. Let's choose Jesus. Let's choose Jesus today. The Holy Spirit is here to convict us of our sin. And we have two choices in this. Just two. There's no do-overs. It's either this way or this way. It's either the highway or the low way. It's either God's way or the world's way. We can either reject the conviction. We can reject our conscience. We can reject the Holy Spirit's promptings to turn away from our sin. And the results will be a callous and hardened heart against God and ultimately eternal separation from God. The destination of those people, and this breaks my heart to say it, will be a place called hell, which was not prepared for men and women, for mankind, but it was prepared for Satan and all of the evil demons. That's who it was prepared for, not any of us. But if we choose to reject God, we will be in hell, and we will be separated from God for all of eternity. Or the other choice is this. And I hope that we would all make this choice today. That we can yield to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit as he tugs on our conscience. And draws us always, constantly, regularly to Jesus Christ. The results will be in a person that lives that sort of life. Will be to keep a soft heart towards God. Oh, have a soft heart towards God, church. Have a soft heart towards his standards, a desire to want to live and to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. Long for that, hunger for that today. The destination of those people will be a place called heaven. 
that he has prepared for us. And a fellowship with God, not only here on this earth, but for all of eternity. Amen? Choose Jesus today. Believe in Jesus today. Jesus is our righteousness. In him, we're made right with God. Through him, we have restored relationship back to God the Father. Amen? Which brings us to the second work of the Holy Spirit as described in our passage in the book of John. And that is this. That the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, convicts us of righteousness. What does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means by that. You see, Satan hates absolute truth. He hates it. He hates that there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. He absolutely hates it. He's so jealous of that. So if you notice, what Satan does is he throws out a lot, a lot of truths. He, and he suggests many routes to God. He loves to muddy up the waters of absolute truth. Now, Satan doesn't mind if he can't keep you from reading the Bible. He says, go ahead, read the Bible. But then he'll say, pick and choose what you believe. Don't take it from Genesis to Revelation, the whole council. Just find out what you like and live that out. The rest of the stuff you don't have to worry about. He's okay with that. And then what he says too is he's, he's going to say, hey, let's add some sort of Eastern religious doctrine. And it kind of sneaks in. You would never full frontal embrace Eastern religious doctrine. But it's there subtly and craftily presented to us in all kinds of different ways in our day-to-day -day life. And the Holy Spirit gives us, as I talked about last week, that discernment to know what is in line with God's Word and what is drawing us away from relationship with Him. So he says, Satan says, mix that up with Eastern religious doctrine. Go ahead and mix it up with some worldly, worldly philosophy. Go ahead and mix that up with some self-help book that you might read that is not in line with God's Word. None of these are in line with God's Word. But you mix it all up. Put it all together in a big old pot of, of, of theological stew. Moral stew. And then what you, he says, you can put that in that blender there. And, and, and your moral compass of what's right and wrong, produce, it's going to produce out something that's no longer linear. It's going to produce something that's no longer narrow, no longer solid. It's no longer absolute. It's no longer pointed due north towards God. It's no longer placing us at the foot of the cross of Calvary. But what it does is it meanders in and around this sort of wide, undefined sort of outer edges of mediocrity and vagueness and conditionality and greatness. And Satan just loves it if you live there. But the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit will never lie. And he will always, always, always point us back to Jesus, who is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And today I proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit will always, always point us back to him. He's the spirit of truth. Jesus said in John 16, verses 12 through 14, I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, that's the Holy Spirit. He'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. And he'll tell you what is yet to come. And he'll glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So really what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's coming to you, speaking to your heart, saying, this is what Jesus is saying right now. 
And he'll remind you of what his word says. Remember what it says in, the, in Thessalonians? Remember what it says there in the, in, in the book of Proverbs? Remember, this is, the Holy Spirit is never going to make up anything new. He's always going to repeat what Jesus is speaking to him and then to your heart. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Church, today there is an absolute truth that we can build upon our lives, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. There is an absolute capital T truth. He is the truth upon which we can build our lives. It's not shifting sand. He's not going to change today or tomorrow. His name is Jesus Christ, and we can build our lives upon him, and it's a sure foundation, amen? Jesus will stand the test of time. Jesus will calm every storm. Jesus will overcome every obstacle. He will expose every lie, and he will defeat every foe. His name is Jesus, and we can stand upon him today. Jesus will defend you against the enemy and have victory victory over every enemy. He'll provide for your every need. I know that because he's done that for me. How many can say amen? Jesus will save you to the uttermost. My Jesus will never leave you. My Jesus will never forsake you. My Jesus will be with you for all of eternity. My Jesus, no enemy can defeat him. No evil force can overcome him and no antichrist is going to replace him. Hallelujah. My Jesus will reign forever. My Jesus has conquered death and hell and the grave. My Jesus is the absolute truth. He is God's standard upon which we can and must build our lives. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. My Jesus is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession for you and me right now at this very moment. And my Jesus is coming back very soon. <laughs> to take us all back to heaven, that where he is, there we will be also for all of eternity. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, here's the thing. Our conscience bears witness with this, doesn't it? All those things that I just said, it's like, yeah. You know, the spirit of the Lord inside of you is going, he's right, you know. What he's saying is true. Your conscience is like perking up saying, yes, that's true. That's accurate. That's right. That's correct. Walk in this way. Walk in his righteousness. Walk in his absolute truth. Walk in Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Your conscience is speaking to you, and it's bearing witness with what I'm saying. Because, by the way, what I'm saying and what the Holy Spirit is saying through me, it aligns with the righteousness in our hearts that wants to live out a life for Christ. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation and shadow of turning. I'm so thankful that there's no shadow of turning with Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's consistent. He's our true north. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking stand. Amen. The Holy Spirit speaks to our unseared conscience and helps us to keep our foundation built upon Christ, our solid rock. Unfortunately, those who reject the absolute truth will be convicted of their rejection with God's judgment. And I hope that that doesn't happen to anybody here. Don't reject the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in your life because Jesus is our righteousness. He is our rightness. Which leads us to the third point that, um, that Jesus made. If what he said that 
the Holy Spirit will do. And he said that the Holy Spirit convicts us of judgment. It's an interesting phrase. What does he mean by that? Well, this is what he means. Church, the world is actually facing judgment. We're kind of seeing the beginning stages of it, uh, the um, birth pains, is what the Bible calls it, of judgment that's getting ready to be poured out on this earth. We are in the last of the last days, I believe this with all of my heart, before the rapture of the church, before the return of Christ. We are moments away. You hear me say this all the time, and I know you may get tired of me saying it, but I can't let a moment go by. I can't let a Sunday go by that I don't bring it up again because this could be the last time I get to say it. And I want to keep us aligned with that and do everything that we do with eternity in mind, church. Because what we do here on this earth is just gonna fade away unless what we do for Christ. That's the only thing that's going to last, amen? Judgment is on the way. We see the birth pains of it and we read the book of Revelation, these things, that, these terrible times that are coming upon the earth. And I pray to God that nobody in this place will be left behind. Please don't be left behind. I plead with you to don't be left behind. Make a decision for Jesus Christ and be caught up in the rapture so you're not left to face this awful tribulation, this seven-year period that's going to come upon the earth. We know it as the tribulation. The rebellious sinners who've rejected Jesus will experience God's righteous wrath being poured out unlike anything that the world has ever seen. The Holy Spirit in us convicts us of this truth. We know we can just sense that something different is happening. Something is about to come up. It's like a, it's like a birth. It's, it's like a, a, a moment. It's getting ready to happen. And we just sense it in our hearts, don't we? Those of us who are in tune with the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking to us. He's giving us discernment. He's convicting us of sin and righteousness. And he's convicting us of judgment, saying that judgment is on the way. And our conscience inside of us, our spirit man says, yes, that's correct. There's a day of reckoning scheduled on this earth, a day in which the holy God will mete out justice and rid his creation of sin once and for all. In fact, this judgment has already begun. Did you know that? Guess who's already faced God's judgment? This is what Jesus was talking about. Guess who's already faced God's judgment? Jesus identifies him as Satan. Satan actually is the one whom judgment has already fallen. When did that take place? After he died on the cross. He went and stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That was a down payment. Satan has already been defeated. When he said it's finished, that was it. When Jesus said it is finished, that was Satan's defeat. Satan's doom is sure. It's assured. It's guaranteed. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan is the ruler of this world. This is his domain. That's why we're in this world, but not of it. We're kind of like foreigners in a strange land, right? But we're also ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And we're here to tell others about Jesus so that where he is, we all may be also. Jesus had earlier indicated that his death on the cross was when the prince of this world is going to be driven out. So we know that that's already taken place. Judgment has already begun with Satan. And that's why Satan is scrambling. That's why Satan knows that his time is short. And that's why Satan is pulling out all the stops to try to get as many with him as he, as, as he possibly can. It was on the cross that Jesus redeemed sinners from, for God 
and utterly vanquish Satan. Satan's doom is already assured. It's a done deal. Hebrews 2.14 says that by his death, he might break, by the death of Christ, he might break the power of him who holds power, the power of death, and that is the devil. So Jesus, when he said it's finished, and we conquered death, hell, and the grave, he conquered it for us today. And he took those keys from Satan and said, you give those to me. You can't have them anymore. They're mine. And so that's why we have victory over death. When we die, we don't breathe our last because the moment that we breathe our last here is the moment that we breathe our first in heaven for eternity. Satan has lost. There is no power in death anymore. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead showing to all the world that Satan's rule has been overthrown. And of course, as I said, Satan knows this. So he's doing all that he can to make uh, to take as many with him as possible because you've heard the phrase that misery loves company and I don't want anybody more miserable than Satan. All who reject Christ and remain in their sin, listen to me church, will be condemned along with Satan. And this is the warning that the Holy Spirit sounds in the hearts of the unsaved, speaking to our conscience, pricking our hearts, knocking on the door of our hearts, tapping us on the shoulder of our hearts, saying, stop saying those things, stop doing those things, stop thinking those things. Be a Christian. Be like Christ. Serve the Lord. Stop serving the things of this world. Our conscience, that spirit mind inside of us, tells us that this day of judgment, this day of reckoning is coming. And we look around at the signs. And even this war that's going on in Israel right now, that's all part of it. It really is. It's just a reminder to us that the time is coming up very soon. I mean, Iran is just cheering them on. Iran's going to be one of the countries, along with Russia and Turkey, they're going to come attack Israel. And by the way, they're going to just, the enemies are going to be completely annihilated. We read it in Ezekiel chapter 38, that war. God's just going to intervene. So I'm not worried about it, but we need to pray. We need to keep praying. And we need to look around at the signs. You know, if you're driving down the interstate anywhere in this country, you know you're getting closer to something when you start seeing advertisements for it, right? Like if you go into Myrtle Beach, for example, there's like Bucky's over there in Florence. You ever seen that? All of a sudden, these Bucky signs start showing up. You think, what is Bucky's? But you know you're getting close to it. And it's this unbelievably massive gas station, by the way. Only in America can you have a gas station this big, you know. But you know you're getting close to it. They don't advertise Bucky's here. You don't see any signs here, do you? But boy, you start getting close to Florence, it's like, it's like I just got to go. I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I'm going into Bucky's. You know, you, you may not see any signs for Disney World right here, but you get close to Orlando, as soon as you drive into Florida, in fact, it's like, hey, Mickey, here's Mickey, here's Mickey, here's Mickey. And the closer you get, you know, you're like up to here in mouse ears. It's just crazy. Church, listen to me. As far as the signs of the times, we are way beyond neck deep in mouse ears. Jesus is coming back. The signs are all around us. Stop ignoring them. This is an unusual and unique time that we're living in. James 5, 9 says it this way. Don't grumble against one another. In other words, stop being so busy doing what you've been normally doing, getting all caught up in junk, lest you be condemned what he's reminding us is the last part of this verse. It says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's right there, and he's coming to judge. 
It doesn't say the Savior is standing at the door. It says the judge is standing at the door. What that means is judgment is on the way. And our hearts say yes. Our spirit man inside of us, our conscience says yes, this is true. This aligns with what my conscience, the spirit man inside of me knows. And I can't deny it. I won't. Jesus is returning soon. Amen? So let me wrap this up today by uh, sharing this with you. The Apostle Paul in writing to Timothy, gave an encouragement and a command, not just to Timothy, but we can apply to our lives today. Listen to this in 1 Timothy, verse uh, 18 of chapter 1. It says, Timothy, my son, so let me just put your name there. Hayden, my brother. Terry, my sister. Irene, my sister. Just put your name there. Timothy, my son. I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a what? A good conscience. A good conscience, which some have rejected. In other words, got their hearts hardened. They've been seared. They've just ignored it for so long. Some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. When you have a hardened heart, when your conscience is seared, you will experience shipwreck. I guarantee it. And I don't know if it's a very pleasant experience to be on a shipwreck. Every movie I've ever seen, it doesn't really turn out too well. Tom Hanks did okay, but you know. I just wouldn't want to be in a shipwreck. You know? I like, I like, I like good soil. You know? Keep me on the soil. I want my boat to float. When that storm starts happening, you see these rocks start coming up. That ship will just get battered and you get in a shipwreck because you're hardened heart, because you're seared conscience. So let's be careful not to reject the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, to not shun it, to not diminish it, to not lay it aside, to not mix it up with a bunch of stuff. Let's have a pure faith and let's have a good conscience. In other words, let's keep that conscience um, tender Let's keep that conscience open to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, you know? Let's not just keep pushing it off to the side because we will get a seared conscience after a while and we'll end up being like all those people in Romans chapter one and I don't wish that on anybody. God, help us to have a pure and tender and sensitive, gentle, good conscience that has as its primary thing an ear for you that listens to your still small voice. Let's not become callous to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because if we do, we will certainly shipwreck our lives. A strong faith and a good conscience will help us to fight the battle well. And the Holy Spirit is here to help us with that. Each time you deliberately ignore your conscience, you're hardening your heart. Over time, your ability to tell right from wrong will diminish, I promise you. But as you walk with God, His Holy Spirit will speak to you through your conscience, that inner spirit in you, your spirit man, and help you to shun wrong and walk in the light. And that's really everything that we need to think about here is, Lord, help me today to shun wrong, to reject it, to push it aside, and help me to cling to the things that are right and walk in the light of Christ. How many wants to shun wrong and live in the right, amen? The right in Christ. I want you today to treasure your relationship with Jesus more than anything else. 
Do what you know is right. Let's fight the good fight of faith, amen? With a good conscience, trusting the Holy Spirit to help us all along the way.